you ready? I am. Okay. Welcome to this episode of Profess Hers, a podcast about movies, music, history, pop culture, current events, and literature, all discuss the perspective of women's issues and feminism. I'm Allegra, and as previously stated, I think I saw pretty much every movie this summer. Um, but if I had to pick a favorite, I would say probably Spider-Man, Far From Home. There's too many Spider-Man movies. Okay. I've tried to explain to you why the other ones don't matter and shouldn't count, but you can't differentiate between them. So, And I'm Misty, and I think my favorite summer movie this year was Secret Life of Pets 2. <sighs> my kid made me see it three times, so That's I guess a- it better be my favorite. That's a huge... Huge reach. But today we're going to talk about summer movies from 2019. Summer's a great time for movies and arguably has been a mediocre to possibly good time for women in movies this summer. I think we need to start with the history of summer movies just because that's <laughs> what we do. I'm just saying, that's what you do, first of all. But I'm just saying, it wasn't, I wouldn't say, a great year for women in summer no, movies. No, no, it wasn't. Mediocre to possibly okay. Stretching to okay. Yeah. Some not great moves by some directors this sem- summer. I almost said semester. It's just how my <laughs> There's brain, a summer semester. Just how my brain works. Yeah, we're back in fall semester, and it's a lot right now. <laughs> it just is a lot. Okay, so tell us something, something, somebody did something in history. Okay, so in 1905. Oh, my God. In Pittsburgh, Pickle, Pittsburgh Pennsylvania. <laughs> no, no, you said Picklevania, and we're not going to ever forget it. I don't know what's wrong with me today. Uh, the Nickelodeon opened. Which is not the children's television channel. No, apparently that was the first U.S. movie theater, the Nickelodeon. It was named that because that was the price of admission, a nickel, with Odeon, the name for a theater in Greek. I did not know that. I know. Interesting historical facts. Wow. I'm going to be telling everybody that for days. So then in 1925, Memorial Day weekend, we had our first summer movies. That became a thing in 1925. 1925. And the reason it became such a big deal in the summer was the, I'm going to say this wrong. Um, you say a lot of things wrong. It's okay. Rivioli Theater? That says Rivoli. Rivoli? add letters to words? <laughs> Apparently, yes. And sometimes I subtract letters. It was the first theater that had air conditioning. Oh, yeah. So summer movies would be very exciting. So to go to a movie in the summer was a luxury because people don't have air conditioning in their homes yet. Yeah. Some people in New York still don't have air conditioning in their homes. It's a thing in the Northeast to not have a central AC. Bizarre. Because they don't need it the way that we do. I mean, obviously, we live in Texas. I feel like it still gets to be 100 degrees in New York City. Yeah, probably. So... The idea of, like, going to a theater in the summer is a way to stay out of the heat. It's a luxury. It's a way to kind of escape, which I think is kind of the way we still view summer movies today. Yeah, pretty much what it is now. It's not necessarily that you're going to a theater for high cinematic quality. I mean, I am, but sure. So you're saying people did not go there for the same reason they went to the opera. Right. And even the same reason they might go to a movie theater in October or November. Some people are just going because everything else is too hot. <laughs> so even it's, if it's a terrible movie. Spray myself with a hose. It's not hot. the movies. Exactly. Okay. In 1975, Steven Spielberg has Jaws released. And this is our first true summer blockbuster. Why is it called a blockbuster? So that's a term that comes from World War II. But I think this is really interesting because a blockbuster was like a thing that would black out a whole block. And it was like a big deal. Yeah. But a movie fails and we call it a bomb, which kind of does the same thing. Right. So it's just a very interesting use of those two words. So blockbuster just meant like explosive? Explosive. Metaphorically explosive. Yes. Yes. So Jaws is the first movie that in the summer becomes this huge movie, but also this cultural phenomenon Mm -hmm. in a way that summer movies before hadn't. Mm -hmm. So now people are going... Not just because it has AC. 
But because those are when the big exciting movies come out. Yes. And again, maybe not Oscar worthy movies. Sure. But yeah. fun and yeah. escape movies. And so that's that continues today. That's when the big action movies tend to come out is late spring and summer. And those are going to be the high grossing, high cost, yes. flashy films. Flashy is a good word. Uh, and that's what, probably why they're called blockbusters, right? And probably not your Oscar winners. Those tend to come out in the fall and winter or very late in the year anyway. So... You're saying Jaws was the first? Yes. What are some other historical, as far as that term can be stretched? Okay. So, other iconic summer movies. Okay. Alien. When was that? When was Alien? 1979. That's a weird movie. It's a very weird movie. (laughs) E.T., 1982. I knew that one. Top Gun, 86. The Lion King. I remember going to see this in the theater in a summer. Really? Yeah, because I remember all my cousins were there, and the only way we'd all be together is if there was no school. Mm-hmm. And we took up about like, three rows of the movie theater. That's a like, lot we of cousins. were all there. It's a lot of cousins. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of Wilsons. Uh, Touches. Okay. Finding Dory. It's <laughs> even better. Um, and then IMBD's top list. I don't agree with these. So, first of all, it's IMDB. Oh, man. It's a database. I am having a bad day. It's making that podcast. <laughs> Way more entertaining, though, so please continue. It's so early. All right. Um, So their top ones, I don't agree with this list, but Jaws, yes, I agree with that one. Stand By Me, I mean, it's a good movie, but I don't know if I'd be top. That's not a blockbuster. Yeah, this is the top summer movie. Okay. Do the Right Thing. That's a good movie. But is it a top summer movie? Uh, And then Dazed and Confused. I don't care for that film. It's okay. It just these are not the same ones I would have picked. So let's talk about this summer in movies. Okay. And this might sound familiar, but one of the biggest winners this summer in movies was The Lion King. Yeah. The new let's say live action, but that's in quotation marks. Yeah, because it's it's still computer animated. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very confused by the term live action in relation to the movie Lion King. I'm confused about how we're just taking movies from the 1990s and redoing them and acting like they're new well i don't i don't know what to tell you i haven't seen it is kind of cool though that my daughter's seeing all the movies i saw as a kid yeah i haven't seen the new lion king i can say that i one movie i was very excited about for the summer that was kind of a huge disappointment uh was the dark phoenix movie did you see that I don't even know what that is. Guess what it might be about. The Dark Phoenix. No, it's just Dark Phoenix. There's no the. Just guess. Is it about a bird? No. <laughs> it's an X-Men movie. Oh, yeah. I never would have gotten that. But it's an X-Men movie and the two lead characters. My next guess was going to be about a spaceship. That would have been closer. Uh, the two lead characters were both female. One of them was okay. uh, Jennifer Lawrence and the other... Is she still making X-Men movies? Yeah. Did not know that. Once you're in it, you're just in it for life, I guess. The other is the uh, woman who played Sansa Stark in... Oh, uh, what's her name? Game of Thrones. I don't know. She's married to a Jonas brother. These are the things Sophie I Sophie something. Yeah. These are the things I know. So it did not do very well. In theaters, it only made $65 million domestically. Is that not a lot? That's that. I mean, Aladdin made $1 billion. Whoa. <laughs> so, no, it's not a lot. Uh, Aladdin Al- made a billion dollars. Aladdin made a billion. And what's crazy is Aladdin, the new Aladdin, again, live action in quotation marks because they're like dancing elephants. Uh, well, and the genie. The genie. So, Aladdin and Lion King came out in the same summer. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't there another one of the live action ones coming out pretty soon? Dumbo came out recently, too. I don't remember. I feel like there's another one coming out soon. Uh, Speaking of remakes, Child's Play came out again. A new Child's Play. Child's Play. Oh, um, Chucky. Chucky. Yeah, it came out the same weekend, I think, as Toy Story 4. Because I remember seeing the advertisements. And <laughs> oh, I'm yeah, like, those the, are kind of clever. Yeah, because the toys situation. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Annabelle comes one home. Is, 
toys coming alive for a good reason, and then one is horrifying. Which also, Annabelle is about a toy, is yeah, about a doll. Yeah, that evil doll. As a, yeah, a lot of dolls coming to life this summer. A lot of uh, sequels. Yeah, so Annabelle is also a female-led movie, and it did pretty well. $219 million for a horror movie is pretty good, especially since it only costs $30 million to make. And horror movies, I think we've talked about this before, typically draw less at yeah. the box office. Yeah, I mean, it's rated R, so fewer people can get in to see it. And some people just don't like horror. Yeah. I don't know who those people are, but... Uh, so one surprising winner, it's not surprising to me, is John Wick 3. Don't know anything about that. Keanu Reeves. Someone killed his dog in John Wick 1, and he's still mad about it. Seriously? <laughs> That, I mean, that cannot be the plot of the movie. The plot is more complex, but that is, all those things are true. But okay. The, so the good thing about John Wick 3 is these are Keanu Reeves' ultra-violent movies. Okay. In this movie, Halle Berry plays a large role, and she gets to do things that are just as cool and just as violent and just as action heavy as the things that Keanu Reeves is doing. Has she been the other ones too? No. Okay, so she so was she, added she to was this added to this movie okay, cool. as well. And so yeah, it did really well. The uh one another movie we're going to talk about Midsummer was a Norwegian horror movie. All right then. It did pretty well. I'd say the probably biggest winner at the box office this summer was Spider-Man Far From Home, over a billion dollars uh as of a couple weeks ago. And of course that's from the Marvel movies. But that's the last one, right? Like, no more Spider-Mans. It's complicated. Okay. We Pro- don't have to get into probably it. Probably not. Okay. We're st- we-, we can still hope that Disney just buys Sony. Okay. I'm not. I'm just kidding. I don't think that Disney should own everything, but there is a dispute about the rights to make Spider-Man movies. So, Sony has the rights to make Spider-Man movies. They were... Co-producing them with Disney. Now Disney wants Has more money. Has severed that relationship? No, Disney wants more of the profits. Oh, okay. And so sure. he's like, no, we'll keep our asset. All right, then. So the movie uh, Booksmart came out this summer, and that was written and produced by Olivia Wilde and starred two female actors. It made pretty good money 25 million dollars for an indie movie i mean it cost six million dollars to make so it definitely did well and got a lot of critical attention but you didn't hear people in the office or on the streets talking about the movie book smart no not really yeah toy story 4 also a billion dollar movie this summer uh that's the non-evil toys come to life yes and we'll talk a little bit today about whether there's a feminist subplot or not that's debatable yeah uh secret life of pets was not did not do well it, you know what i'm not gonna lie it wasn't that great of a movie it, but it was cute <laughs> no it wasn't good <laughs> <laughs> i think there are parts that were really great uh once Upon a Time in Hollywood is doing okay, box office-wise. I think it's made its money back, uh, and then some. And surprisingly, Fast and Furious pre- presents Hobbs and Shaw doing really well. Over $400 million. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So just to go back, that Dark Phoenix movie did not do well. <laughs> Did not do well. So are we going to do some deep dives? Let's start. Which one do you want to start with? So we're we're playing. We're going to plan to talk about quite a few of these movies in deep dives, especially movies that uh, Missy watched. Congratulations, Missy! But uh, which one do you want to start with? Did you watch Wine Country? No. Okay, because I actually did watch that. Okay, tell me about it. So that's a movie that came out on Netflix, right? Yeah, and I was really excited about it because it has a lot of women in it that I really, really love. It has the lady from Vice Prince or not Vice Principals, uh, AP Bio. Yes, and yeah. it has Amy Poehler yeah. and Tina Fey. Yeah. So it has a lot of women I was really excited to see. 
So it was directed by Amy Poehler. Thank you. It was written by two women, Emily Spivey and Liz Kakowski. Uh, The story is by Amy Poehler and those two writers. The music was composed by two women, and it starred women. Yes. And some really funny women. Yeah. So the general plot, the one-sentence summary, is six women question their friendships and future when they travel to Napa Valley, California, to celebrate a 50th birthday. And that's great, too, right? So they're not celebrating a 21st birthday. Or a wedding. Or a wedding, but they're celebrating a birthday, and we're getting into what we would consider older females, which is typically not represented very much in movies. Uh, It's an all-female cast. Rachel Dratch is in the movie. Yes. It just wasn't very good. <laughs> like it had it has all two and a half stars. It had all of the right pieces yeah. to be good. Yeah. And it just didn't go anywhere. It was like watching real life on TV. Yeah, so, so new, n- real life doesn't have a narrative. Right. Structure. Real life doesn't always make sense and it doesn't really go anywhere sometimes. <laughs> and things get dropped and that's, plot that's, points don't get yeah, close. You go to watch a movie because I you, want a narrative you, arc. You want something to make sense. Yes. And yeah. it just wasn't very good. And I'm really sad because I wanted to love it. Yeah. I wanted to love it so much. Yeah. But you couldn't. And I just couldn't. I will say the best thing about the movie I thought was Tina Fey. Yeah, and and even just reading the cast list, so Amy Poehler, Rachel Dratch, Anna Gasteyer, Maya Rudolph, Paula Pell, Emily Spivey, Tina Fey, and then we get to the very first dude's name, Jay Larson. So it is a very female-fronted cast, mm-hmm. which is great, because not every movie needs to be mostly or almost exclusively female, but it's nice that some movies are. It's nice to see like a buddy flick. Yeah. That's female. Yeah. With a whole group of women. Kind yeah. of yeah. Like an ensemble cast. Yeah. But it just it didn't work for you. It just didn't it, it didn't go anywhere. It didn't do anything. <laughs> I'm and I'm sad. Because yeah. there were there were moments of it that were absolutely hilarious, but they were so few and far between that it just didn't work. Which is hard to believe because those are some extremely funny people. Yes, and they somehow managed to make them all not funny. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't necessarily looking for bridesmaids or anything. Yeah. But I I just felt like I was watching real people do nothing. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's a great analysis. of. I mean, I haven't seen it, so I can't speak to its accuracy, but I felt like I was watching real people do nothing. So we could have gone to a winery and watched people and had more of a closed narrative arc. Yeah. And if I had gone with you, it would have been funnier. Yes. Let's talk about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Sure. Let's do that. You would not like this movie. (laughs) I am going to say that that is probably correct. So Once Upon a Time in in Hollywood, written and directed, of course, by Quentin Tarantino, Um, the one sentence summary of this movie is a faded television actor and his stunt double strive to achieve fame and success in the film industry during the final years of Hollywood's golden age in 1969 Los Angeles. Of course, that sentence doesn't include any references to Charles Manson, which I think is possibly a little misleading. This movie has 8 out of 10 on IMDb, Metacritic score of 83. So obviously pretty well liked critically and by viewers. I think when you go to to a Quentin Tarantino film, though, it's a self-selecting audience, right? Like, you're opting into that. Yeah. So this this movie stars Leonardo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt, Margot Robbie, Emile Hirsch. Those are basically the stars of the, the movie. And what's interesting is that the, the person who plays uh, Charles Manson in this movie mm-hmm. plays Charles Manson in the TV show Mindhunter. Really? Yeah. I saw that. You saw Mindhunter. I watched Mindhunter. Oh, my God. I didn't know that Charles Manson was so short. I learned something watching that. <laughs> but, yeah. So that guy's name is Damon Harriman. Uh, and he, in, in basically in the last year, has played Charles Manson twice. I mean, 
If you're going to be a character actor, I guess. I guess that's one way to do it. So the movie is about uh, kind of a washed up actor and his stunt double trying to navigate like a changing landscape of Hollywood and the film industry's changing and all those kinds of things. Okay. This movie is extremely boring. Oh, no. Is it wine country? Before I get into any discussion of gender, which I have a lot to say about the way the movie deals with gender, uh, I do just want to say, like, it's boring. It's a boring movie. Is Margot Robbie in this one? Yes. Okay. So I'm not going to give away the The ending. ending of the movie because there's no need to. Uh, but yeah, it's to me, I feel like my... Obviously, I didn't time it because I watched it in a movie theater. But I would say easily like one-fifth of this movie is just Brad Pitt driving in a car. Oh. Okay. And so that sounds boring, right? Yeah. Those are the most exciting parts of the movie. But it's got Charles Manson in it. Not for very long. Okay. <laughs> How do you make that boring, though? Here's what, I will, here, here's what I'll say. You leave the movie saying, I could have gone with more Charles Manson. <laughs> Which is never what you want to do. I could have used more Manson. Yeah, that's not great. Yeah. Yeah. So you want to talk to me about gender in this movie? So as you said, Margot Robbie is in this movie. And Margot Robbie has recently become a very popular, very well-respected actor. Okay. Can you name other things that Margot Robbie has been in? Ooh, I can, but not at this moment. Okay. So she was in I, Tonya, so she played. Yes, that is true. She was. Uh, I'm going to agree with everything you say, because I'm going to remember as you do it. Suicide Squad, so she yeah, plays Harley Quinn. Eh, that's not, I don't care about that. <laughs> she was in The Wolf of Wall Street, and yes. that's the movie where I think where people realize, oh. Like she's a thing. She is a really, really strong actor. She's not She's not just pretty. Yeah. So that was a Martin Scorsese movie. And so now she's in this Quentin Tarantino movie. So obviously big directors want her. She doesn't speak for most of the movie. Is she, she has, playing Sharon Tate? She is playing Sharon Tate. And she has very, very few lines. In this movie, which is kind of a contrivance, the actor who is Leonardo, who Leonardo DiCaprio is playing lives next door to Sharon Tate and Roman Polanski. I mean, she looks like Sharon Tate. She does. She looks just like Sharon Tate. They did a good job. She does an excellent job, but she doesn't have very many lines. She has a good bit of screen time. And I mean, I don't know how familiar you are with Quentin Tarantino movies, but he tends to have multiple narratives happening at the same time. And they're all very weird plot lines. So it's not unheard of for someone who's a lead in the movie to not be on screen very much because there are these competing plot lines. It's almost like vignettes. But even when she's on screen, she's rarely speaking. But is it a, I could see a way to do that, which makes a statement about something. But is it that or is it they just don't use her appropriately? Um, I mean, I don't make movies. So I, (laughs) fair enough. I can't speak with an expert opinion. Her not talking had no artistic effect on me. Like it didn't. It so wasn't they weren't like, making her an object for the point of her being an object. Right. They weren't making there there was no commentary on objectification okay. that I was picking up on. She just was packing a suitcase, not speaking. I think part of it was the fact that Roman Polanski left Sharon Tate alone a lot of the time. Okay. So she had maybe some of that was sh- showing that she really had no one to talk to. Okay. But but that's stretching it. That's stretching it. And okay. the other thing is, the movie includes historical events. And again, I'm going to not do spoilers. It includes historical events, but it retells them. So it is not historically accurate. So if it is, if it includes something that ha- really happened in history, it's not recording it the way it happened. Which okay. means Quentin Tarantino could have made anything happen. We know that Leonardo DiCaprio and Margot Robbie are dynamite together on screen. Right. They never... Interact. Really interact. That which I like feel a like waste. is a huge loss. Because if you look at the poster, you're like, cool. 
Leo and Margot are in a movie together. They're not really in a movie together. They're in a movie next to each other. <laughs> nice. They're in adjacent movies. <clears throat> what What's frustrating to me about Quentin Tarantino is when somebody brought this up to him at the Cannes Film Festival, somebody said to him that Margot Robbie didn't get very many lines in the movie. Right. And the interviewer said, I guess that was a deliberate choice on your part. And I just wanted to know why that was that we don't hear her actually speaking very much. So they're asking the same question you asked, right? That what was point uh, are you trying to obviously make? a deliberate point artistically that you had her in the film. She's a very famous, very well-known actress. Why didn't she speak very much? So they're giving him the opportunity to explain. Right. And his response is, well... I just reject your hypothesis. I'm confused. Yeah. How can you reject something that we can time? <laughs> it's measurable. It right. Is, it is objectively true. She does not have very many lines in the movie. And somebody said, I guess that was a deliberate choice. I just yeah, wanted like, to know trying to say why from- that was. Yeah. What was the the reason for it? And kind of defensively, in the article I read on Jezebel, they call him petulant. <laughs> he says, I just reject your hypothesis. Well, yeah, and like looking at the movie poster, it looks like she would be front and center of this movie. Right. Yes. But that's just not. The and there, case. there was, I mean, there isn't a hypothesis. Again, like you said, it's measurable. Right. It would be, I would say, and the Jezebel article says that we would be surprised if her lines comprised 10% of the script. Wow. Okay. So Very little. noticeable. Yes. And there are long stretches, like several minutes long, where she's on the screen and it seems to be suggesting to you that she is better seen than heard. That is the impression that you get when you watch it, that she's an object to look at. Instead of a person, right? And so someone gave him the opportunity to explain it, and he's like, Meh, I didn't because do that. Because if he would have said, I'm making a commentary on the way that we view Sharon Tate. I'm making a comment on the legacy she had in Hollywood. I mean, I would have bought that. Yeah. Because you do hear Sharon Tate almost all the time, but you never see clips of her actually acting, right? Right. It's just a picture of her. Yeah. I mean, there's a way to spin that. And there are multiple times in the movie where you are basically looking at her the way male characters look at her. And so we're using the male gaze. That, and a man is explaining her to us. At one point, there's a voiceover that says that she has a touch of pregnancy-induced melancholy. Wow. This voiceover is freaking ridiculous. The voiceover then says, which was later reported that it was the hottest night of the year and made her feel especially pregnant in all the worst ways. What does that mean? It could mean a lot of things, but I mean, if you're not hearing it from her. But yeah. And so the male gaze is very appropriate because, again, we get to see lots of women's feet in this movie. Okay, then. As we do in all Quentin Tarantino movies. Is that a thing? No, it's... Yes, it's a thing. I guess I never noticed. It's a thing. So I would say, without giving you any spoilers, not that you, Misty, personally care about spoilers, but the general listening audience here, it's not a good movie. But, I mean, I know plenty of people who like it, and again, it has, you know, 80s and 90s on Metacritic and IMDb, so a lot of people did enjoy it. I think there are a lot of interesting parts to it, but... If I could go into it and just turn off my brain... Is it a good movie? Like, is it an no. escapist? No. No. Okay. So the what's story odd, is not what's, good. What's odd is I didn't care about anything that Leonardo DiCaprio's character was saying or doing, which is not a reaction I usually have to him. Because, like, Inglorious Bastards, I think, is fun. Yeah. I mean, it's it's wrong, but it's fun. <laughs> yeah. It's the same kind of thing with the way he treats history, right? So it's this historical setting but then we're going to change. But then we're in an alternative timeline where nothing we're, real we're happened. We're going to change how history happened. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So it's, you wouldn't like it. Okay. For a whole host of reasons, <laughs> but you wouldn't like it. Where do you want to go next? Well, tell us about the movie you watched. 
I'm just going to be like a Debbie Downer this whole episode. It's okay. The, to be honest with you, we we didn't do well culturally this summer in terms of movies. And not just gender-wise. I feel like there weren't a lot of great movies, period. So I went to go see The Kitchen. Okay. So The Kitchen, 5 out of 10 on IMDb, 36 Metacritic score. Uh doesn't seem like it did very well. On Rotten Tomatoes, it's got a 21%. So starring Melissa McCarthy, Tiffany Haddish, Elizabeth Moss. And that's why I wanted to see it. Yeah. All three of those women, love all three of them. Yeah, two of them very hilarious. I don't know if Elizabeth Moss is hilarious, but... She's not, but she has um, just this, I feel, really compelling presence on screen. Yeah. I think it's one of the reasons I actually kept watching The Handmaid's Tale. Mm -hmm. It's just because I find her interesting. Yeah. This movie, <laughs> I'm looking for something nice to say about it. I can't think of anything. So it's based on a comic book series. Melissa McCarthy had great hair. Okay. That's what you have to say. That's my nice thing to say. All right. This movie's also directed, by the way, by a woman, Andrea Burloff. I feel like this movie, and I didn't, honestly, I did not know that it had a source material. Mm -hmm. So maybe if I would have read the source material first... I could fill in some of the gaps because I feel like there are pieces of the movie that are missing. Really? I feel like I don't understand why any of the characters are doing anything they're doing. <laughs> I feel like their motivations change without any kind of clue to the audience. I just do not understand it. Hmm. And so either a lot of stuff got cut out that they filmed or you were supposed to read the source material first and that way you could fill in the gaps. But you... So knowing that there's source material maybe changes my opinion slightly. Okay. Because maybe if I read that, I wouldn't feel like, what's happening? Why are we doing this now? And the one sentence summary for this movie is, The wives of New York gangsters in Hell's Kitchen in the 1970s continue to operate their husbands' rackets after they're locked up in prison. So their husbands are locked up. And essentially, these women try to get help and when nobody will help them then they realize they have to become mobsters in and of themselves to support themselves essentially yeah but that's a dumb plot I'm sorry kind of <laughs> and then, so then I mean I like the general idea of like your husband's gone you take over the empire right that's cool so then you think like these three women are gonna work together and they're gonna like rule New York don't tell me they like started competing with each other I'll know what to tell you then. <laughs> Great. Great. Okay. And I think also I was misled by the way they advertised this movie. Because, like, going in, I know it's like it's not going to be historically accurate. But they Fine. did make it look like it the was girl power kind of movie. Very 70s female narrative. And it just ends up turning on itself. So, not one you'd recommend. No, I wish I could. And not one you think, even though it's not a great movie, would you say it's giving us a good commentary on gender in some way? So I think that the idea that women can be mobsters, I don't know, is that progress? <laughs> women can commit crime too. <laughs> and women can be liars and <laughs> backstabbing. Yeah, I don't know. Is that positive? No. That they're not just the wives. It's disappointing that another movie written by a woman writer leading with multiple female leads, again, didn't do very well. And I feel like, again, maybe there was something in the source material that would explain why this trio falls apart. Mm -hmm. And it just wasn't enough there in the movie for me to get it. I just feel like the motivations were very shallow and if we're already, like, in a crime syndicate together, yeah. it would take a lot to break that up. I wanted to like it. Again, like, I'm just being Debbie Downer. I wanted to like it. Let's talk about Spider-Man Far From Home. Sure. Okay. Because we know it... Let's just change the mood. Okay. All right. 7.9 out of 10 stars on IMDb. 70 Metacritic score, which is shockingly low to me. I feel like it's just a good movie on all fronts. But 
it is following pretty quickly after Endgame, and I think maybe people came in there with Endgame expectations. Uh, and you don't think it's that good? I don't think it's that it's on the same scale. I think it's just as good in terms of its message, its acting, its production quality, but it is a, on a smaller scale. I mean, okay. we were waiting for Endgame for 20 movies, 10 years. You know what I mean? Oh, okay. So the one sentence summary for Spider-Man Far From Home is following the events of Avengers Endgame, Spider-Man must step up to take on new threats in a world that has changed forever. So he, he must step up. I'm like, you know, Spider-Man's been a real slacker. <laughs> well, and there's a lot of in-game cleanup. So there's a lot of explaining how things changed in the world after the events of in-game. Because, they, of course, they met multiple timelines and some people died and came back to life or whatever. So there is some cleanup from in-game in the movie, which is fine because it's answering questions everybody had. Uh, but it's a good movie stars Tom Holland of course as Spider-Man Peter Parker Jake Gyllenhaal is the chief good bad guy I don't know do you mean he's Mysterio sure Marissa Tomei is still his aunt John Favreau's there and then Zendaya plays his love interest MJ now was this her first time in a Spider-Man movie or no no she's in the other Spider-Man okay, movie okay cool and I, and I hesitate to call her his love interest because what this movie does really well is it does not relegate her to the girl that just boxed in role. Yeah, so she's not like the girl who's cute, he has a crush on, and she likes him back and they kiss at the end of the movie. She has an active role throughout the whole movie. She has a very distinct kind of Daria personality. Oh, okay, cool. So it's breaking down that binary of like, you're either a popular girl or a nerd. Like, she's very smart. She has a kind of edgy attitude. Her favorite flower is the Black Dahlia. Oh. Because of the murders. Yes. Right, so she has a, she has a quirky attitude. She is in a lot of the action scenes. She helps solve one of the big mysteries of the movie without giving too many spoilers. She's an integral part of the movie. They do, you know, have a scene where they kind of admit their feelings for each other. So she is his love interest, but she's not just his love interest. Yeah, and I feel like that's an evolution of that character because back when I watched Spider-Man movies <laughs> in the 90s, yeah, I feel like that was the whole role, right? Like yeah. she was just the love interest. And maybe she had one or two comeback lines or something, yeah. but it wasn't, she wasn't a fully developed character. Right. And what's great about this movie is she is the like edgy girl with the attitude, but she also wears like floral dresses at one point. So she has, she's feminine, but not in all of the typical ways, but she doesn't have to sacrifice femininity wait, 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 entirely. Wait. Like a person? Like a person. Yes. Crazy. I know. Uh, and she doesn't have to change in any way to get Peter Parker to like her. And she, and he doesn't have to change to get her to like him. Right? So there, it, there is no, like, she's too popular for me or he's too cute for me. There's none of that. It's just more real. And like you said, they're just real people. But not in the wine country way where it's boring. <laughs> no, I mean, they're still battling, you know, supervillains yeah. and uh, dealing with all those kinds of things. So this movie is fun. Yes. And it also is a nice palate cleanser as far as gender goes. Absolutely. And like you said, it it's very easy to say she's a different kind of MJ because we have other MJs to compare her to. The, yes. other, the other difference is she's not a white MJ. Oh, yeah. Which I think is an important Now that you say that, that's a fairly obvious thing that you're pointing <laughs> out. But yeah, so I think it's cool. Um, and, you know, his friend continues to be in the movie. His friend play, his friend is named Ned. That's played by Jacob Batalon. So this is going to be a real dumb question. Is Spider-Man still a teenager? Yes, yeah, Spider-Man's okay. always a teenager. Okay. Wasn't sure. So it's a good movie. I would recommend Highly. Good. So we have one. <laughs> we finally found one we recommend. Yeah. And it's Spider-Man. It is Spider-Man. Awesome. So are you ready to talk about Toy Story 4? Let's do it. Have you seen it? I have seen half of it. And then we had to leave. Okay. Well, I can't be mad at you because, you know, child. You can be like, sit down. This is for the podcast. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, that's that's fair. So Toy Story 4, 8 out of 10 on IMDb, 84 on Metacritic. So I don't know if this is an unpopular opinion, but I don't know if we needed a Toy Story 4. That's an unpopular opinion. Don't I feel like 3 was enough. Put that back in your mouth okay. and swallow it. Nobody Sorry. wanted to hear Sorry. that from Sorry. you. Uh, the one sentence summary, when a new toy called Forky joins Woody and the gang, a road trip alongside old and new friends reveals how big the world can be for a toy. Uh, one thing I will say before we get into the discussion is Key and Peele did an yes. amazing job. Yes. They were comic relief, but I feel like they weren't just comic relief. Right. But also if you watch the Key and Peele, the show... It's very fun to have the two of them together doing comedy. They are magnificent together. And they just sounded like they were having a great time. They did. And they their jokes are very smart. They're not just like two idiots in the corner. They're very smart jokes. Uh, they're just great. I mean, I, I would watch a movie with just those two characters. Uh, and the, you probably will be soon. <laughs> probably. Uh, otherwise, the movie stars Tom Hanks, of course, Tim Allen. Andy Potts plays Bo Peep. Tony Hale from Arrested Development and Veep, two shows Missy refuses to watch, played Forky. Uh, and then Keegan-Michael Key was half of that duo. Jordan Peele, the, the other half, Ducky and Bunny. Who was? Oh, Keanu Reeves was the uh, motorcycle guy. Yeah, Keanu Reeves was the motorcycle guy. A lot of really famous actors in the movie. Um, Joan Cusack, Bonnie Hunt, Kristen Schaal. A lot of great uh, actors and a lot of great voice actors in that movie. So you don't think we needed a Toy Story 4? No one cares about your opinion. We definitely <laughs> need a, a, I'm used to a it. Toy Story 4. But there are very conflicting opinions about Bo Peep. Really? Okay. Bo Peep is the one we're going to focus on? Well, who did you want to focus on? I mean, I think there's a lot here that we could get into, but but let's start with Bo Peep. So the, there's one view of Bo Peep, which is that, and this is from, I'm getting this from the Washington Post, but for most of the people I know who watch the movie, Bo Peep is kind of an empowered female character. Wait, wait, you're saying most people think that, or that's what the Washington Post said? No, the Washington Post the article is what I'm about to quote, and okay. most people I know who saw the movie have this impression, okay. that Bo Peep is an empowered very cool, tough female character. Okay. The headline in the Washington Post is how a team of women remade the empowered Bo Peep in Toy Story 4. Let's go further down this road before I share my opinions. I'm so confused about what you're about to say. Just let's just, I want to hear you out. Okay. So what, what the Washington Post says is that um, of all of the characters in Toy Story 4, nobody has a stronger sense of self than Bo. So Little Bo Peep, or she goes by Bo, has the strongest sense of who she is, the strongest identity, the most sense of confidence, the most sense of right and wrong, the most surety of where she wants to be and what she wants to do. She's not questioning herself. She's left behind kind of being a child's toy, and she's fearlessly, you know, fixing toys, driving around, helping people, taping her own arm back on. And so they say, the quote is, her presence itself rises like a symbol, reflecting the contribution of leading women every creative step of the way. This remake of the character was engineered behind the scenes by female writers and artists. And so that makes it even more meaningful for a lot of people. To some extent, I almost wish they would have just introduced a new character. Okay. Rather than, quote unquote, remaking this old character. Because the differences between Bo Peep in one and two, because she's not in three. Right. And then this Bo mm -hmm. are pretty night and day. And I don't, I don't know a nice way to say this. I just feel like. They needed a character that was this female empowerment character, right? Mm -hmm. And they they needed a character who was not what Bo Peep was in 1 and 2. Right, because in 1 and 2, she was very much like a, a love interest for Woody. Wilting flower type. Yes. Yeah. And I feel like, okay, yes, we have this new female empowerment character, and I think that's wonderful. I think that's great. 
But don't just put a character that was that way in pants. They did just change her from a skirt to pants. That's true. And then she's this whole new person. Which, I mean, yes, they explain her backstory a little bit. And they explain how she came to be that way to some extent. I just don't know if they could have just used a new character and had maybe even more of an impact. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I feel like they they reconned who she was and just decided she's going to be somebody entirely different. Retconned. Whatever. You tried so hard. I tried. I tried to use your language. <laughs> Retconned. So a few things to know. Okay. In 2018, Rashida Jones, or no, in 2017, Rashida Jones left working on Toy Story. I knew that. Because she said that there's a culture at Toy Story, Pixar, which Pixar. is a Disney, uh, a culture where women and people of color do not have an equal creative voice. Right. In 2018, a female graphic designer at the studio uh, wrote an account for Variety of how she viewed kinds of the similar, she had a similar view of the culture at Pixar than what Rashida Jones than did. Then women and people of color were not heard or listened to as much. There is a general sense that women in animation are underrepresented. So that is, of course, also reflected at Pixar. Yes. And then we had Ralph Breaks the Internet. Right. Where they did a very heavy-handed anti-princess, Disney princess. Do you remember that movie? Yes, yes. Um, Where they kind of very heavy-handed, again, picking holes in all of the patriarchal storylines that they come from. And actually, I don't know if you know this. But that movie broke a long-standing princess, quote-unquote, tradition. What's that? So if you look at all of the old packaging of the Disney princess line, mm-hmm. the princesses are not supposed to exist in the same universe. So they never make eye contact. What? Yeah. It's a thing. The Disney princesses in the old packaging, the canonical canonical, mm-hmm. canonical princesses, never make eye contact. So if you are looking at like a sleeping bag mm-hmm. of the Disney princesses, they're all looking in different directions. None of them look at each other because they're not in the same universe. Oh. And Ralph Bricks the Internet broke that tradition, put them all in the same place, and made them friends. Yeah, but it was still not a very good... No. <laughs> but it did break that long-standing Disney tradition, which I thought was good. Yeah. Yeah. So, Bo Peep comes in Toy Story 4 after being completely left out of Toy Story 3, following all of these very damning testimonials or insights into what's happening at Disney Pixar. Right. And it feels like they gave her a jumpsuit and she's using her sheep's crook as a a weapon. And now we have a strong female character. It feels inauthentic? Yes. Because that's my (laughs) overall issue. It feels inauthentic. And if they would have just introduced a new character, I would not question it. Yeah, like the Keanu Reeves character. Yeah, sure. Brand new, came out of nowhere. Fine. Crazy motorcycle guy. Sure. Cool. Yeah. I mean, they used a character who was already in the franchise because they needed the character development for Woody. I mean, they brought, exactly. they brought her in to make a point to him. To make what he does even more meaningful. It's really all about Woody's... Character yes. development. That's how I feel about it. I'll be honest, when I first saw it, I was like, this is awesome. And then I thought about it for a little while. And I was like, they didn't really do a very good job of developing that character. And she didn't get to spend a lot of... I mean, the movie was still mostly about the fork and Woody and Buzz. And she she made it seem crowded and they didn't give her her due. If they're going to completely redesign that character and make her something that people should be looking up to, they should have given that more screen time than the fork. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to lie. I like the fork. I thought the fork was fun. I don't want to go into the psychology of the fork. I just thought the fork was fun. Yeah, I mean, Tony Hale did a great job. He's very funny. 
Uh, he does a very good sad boy, and he's boy. he's been doing it basically in everything I've ever seen him in. So he's great, but it just seemed like almost a stunt, really, a publicity stunt or a way to make them look better. Or I mean, to so to be honest, if you watch the movie and you said, you know, this is awesome, I love it, I'm empowered by it, I support it, cool. And I'm I'm glad that it had that impact for a lot of people. And I hope it had that impact for a lot of young female people. Yes. But I don't want to give Disney very much credit. If it had that impact on you, it's because you felt that and read that into the character. It's not because Disney did an amazing job of creating that character for us. I think, honestly, we're so hungry for that. We're going to look for it. The breadcrumbs add and up. And hold on to it wherever we can get it, which is great if it... For anyone, it impacted positively, but I don't want to give Disney very much credit for doing a good job at that because they did not do a good job. I also just don't like the idea that you put pants on a girl (laughs) and it's a whole new person. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. No. So I will say that the director of the movie Frozen is now has a larger leadership role at Pixar. Her name is Jennifer Lee. And so I think that a lot of the expectation is that maybe those movies will change and that culture will change a little bit, but I'm not sure. I don't know. I just read that actually on uh, the website, little white lies, which is like a podcast and critical media review site. So we'll find out. I don't know. Again, I just feel like we're being such Debbie downers that like nothing anymore. He does is good enough for us. Well, I mean, other than Spider Man, apparently, nothing. Nothing anybody does did this summer was especially good. The new Aladdin movie added, also added a very minor female empowerment storyline, and gave Jasmine her own song, which she did not have in the original movie. And she definitely was a more interesting, dynamic, nuanced character. You know, what's interesting to me about that, though, is do you remember watching Aladdin as a child? Yes. And do you remember the idea that a princess didn't want to get married was just, at that time, groundbreaking? Yes. Because I remember that. Yeah. And I remember thinking, like, oh, this is a totally different kind of thing that I'm seeing. Yeah. And then, you know, looking back, on you're like, yeah, she's still getting married at 16. And, yeah, you know, you find all of these things to nitpick about. But at the time, I thought Aladdin was kind of ahead of the curve. Original Aladdin. A little in some ways, obviously not all the ways. And right. This movie is is progress. It definitely didn't just remake the same movie. It changed it ch- a lot of things. But, I mean, adding one song and giving her... 10 more minutes on screen, maybe. It didn't make this movie evenly balanced between no. Aladdin and Jasmine at all. I think the other thing about this movie, just again for me personally, was the absence of Robin Williams. Yeah. Was hugely felt. Absolutely. I think Will Smith did a great job. Yeah. But that was such an iconic part of that movie yeah. as a child. And, and you know, the female characters don't have conversations that aren't really no. about guys. No. Yeah. So you saw this movie, too. I have seen most of it. Okay. You're doing pretty well. Honestly. <laughs> Yay! You're doing pretty well. I'm doing better than you thought I would do. Um, the last movie I, I want to talk about is uh, Midsummer. I did not see this, and I have no preconceptions about it at all. It is very freaking weird, man. What's it about? It's interesting. The beginning of the movie, it's American college students... Don't listen to me freewheeling here. <laughs> Midsummer, uh, 7.6 out of 10 on IMDb, a 72 Metacritic score. The one sentence or the two sentence summary is a couple travels to Sweden to visit a rural hometown's fabled Midsummer Festival. What begins as an idyllic retreat quickly devolves into an increasingly violent and bizarre competition at the hands of a pagan cult. Okay. It's not really that a couple travels. It's that a group of students travel. One of the member, one of the college students is from 
this Swedish town. Okay, so he's so like they're and they're sociology students. They're okay. like sociology graduate students, and so he's inviting them to his town to see this festival, this thing. midsummer festival, because they're researching midsummer festivals for sociology. Interesting. One of the members of this group of sociology grad school bros is <laughs> cool. Is on the verge of. Uh, breaking up with his girlfriend and like she's had a death in the family and she's had terrible things happen in her life so he so feels... he's gonna break up with her no but he, he feels bad for her so he doesn't break up with her oh and then she kind of invites herself to come along on the trip and it, all his friends are like dude don't bring her we want to like basically we want to go to europe and like meet women uh and he's like, uh, and so he brings her. And it's very obvious. And he's, he's, that sounds like he's a nice person, but he's not a nice person. He's a very terrible boyfriend. And he is v- very much makes her feel like she's the benefiting from his kindness. He doesn't just do a kindness to be kind. He wants to make sure you know I'm being nice to you. Florence Pugh is the girl, and she ends up being the star of the movie. But, okay. Um, William Jackson Harper from Good Place. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Is in this movie? Really? Yes. And is he one of the sociology bros? He is one of the sociology bros. So anyway, they go to the town and they uh, come to study the festival, and the festival turns out to be like a murderous. We got to make a sacrifice. Oh, good. Type thing. Yeah. I will give you a spoiler on this one. Sure. She lights him on fire. Here's what I will say it is a horror movie that seems at the beginning to be mostly about guys. And she seems to be, I mean, you can tell from the movie posters that she's the star of the movie. But right. when you're she's in, like crying and wearing a crown. Yeah, the flower crown. So she is the star of the movie, but at the beginning, it seems like she's like a sad, depressed, pitiful creature. And then she becomes the queen of the Midsummer Festival, and she, through this sense of community and through, she like realizes her own power as a person, and there's a lot of nature metaphors happening. It's a horror movie, right? So we're not here for the super in-depth character development, some really crazy stuff happens. People disappear. People fall off of rocks. And then there's a very dramatic ending. But I would say that the story arc is one of female empowerment. And if you watch it, you will... Is it female empowerment because she's the last one standing? or is it... She's not the only one left standing. Or is it female empowerment because... She genuinely her own voice. She genuinely recognizes and takes hold of her actual power. Okay. And then lights people on fire. Lots of people get lit on fire in the end. <laughs> All right then. I don't know if I can endorse this. It's very interesting. I mean, so it's kind of gets to play out off fantasy kind of because it's a horror movie so people get killed and so she doesn't just get to like leave her terrible boyfriend who he doesn't have like genuine sympathy for her he has pity for her i guess is the easiest way to say it and he wants to make sure that she knows he's taking pity on her and he mistreats her and kinds of pushes her to the sidelines a bunch and so in a normal movie that's not a horror movie when she recognizes her female power, she would push him out the door and lock it. Or she would, right. you know, decorate her own apartment or something. But it's a horror movie, so, you know, you get to kill people, and so she gets to light him on fire. So we're not definitely not endorsing violence, but in the context of this horror movie where people are going to die anyway, it might as well be her who kills him. So you recommend? I would, I, I mean, if you like horror movies, I would recommend Midsummer for sure. Is it like a graphic horror movie or is it just... It's not like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Okay. But you, if you are a easily queasy person, I wouldn't recommend it. There are intermittent moments of... Ugh. 
some moments. There are some moments, man, where you... I mean, there was even a moment where I had to stop looking at the screen. Wow. That's actually not saying a lot. I stop looking at the screen all the time in movies. That doesn't mean anything. I scream all the time in movies. Oh, that's right. You're one I of those. I cry all the time in movies. I cover my face all the time in movies. I'm a very dramatic moviegoer. I just watched the new It movie. Oh, yeah, that... That looks interesting. It 2, It Chapter 2. I was reading about the um, CGI they had to do for that film. That sounds really interesting. They had to de-age the child actors. Yes, because the child actors got too old. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's interesting. Um, and I mean, that can be the last movie we talk about if you want to talk about it briefly. Is that a summer movie? Because I feel like that's like stretching into fall. Well, we include May. Sure. Let's make it the last summer movie. Sure. It Chapter 2. I think what it it tried to do was split the difference between being a summer movie and being a Halloween movie. Okay. And so it came out in the 6th of September. <laughs> it has a 7.2 out of 10 on IMDb and only a 59. Really? Metacritic score. I've said this several times. This movie's also extremely boring. Really? Yes. Because it looks like it's going to be good. There are lots of parts of this movie that are extremely good, but there are lots of this. There's just a lot of this movie. It's over three hours long. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) And you feel every bit of it like it's a three hour long movie. It is. I I can't. That is unnecessary. It's almost like you were saying with wine country. I can't really enumerate, which is probably why I'm not a professional film critic. (laughs) Yeah, that's the reason. What it is, but it's well acted. I feel like the character arcs are interesting. I feel like the ending was okay. I feel like there were some good commentary on the genre of horror. Um, Bill Hader is amazing in this movie. Oh, and the casting of the kids to the adults looks spot on. Except for whatever happened to the kid who was the chubby little kid and then he became like the Greek god guy. Isn't there something like that in the book though where the chubby kid like... I don't... I haven't read this book. Oh, okay. Maybe I'm wrong but I thought I remember that from the book. No, I think it's in the book but it's just... That was the one where they had to like make sure you knew that's who that was. Yeah. Um, Jessica Chastain plays Beverly. James McAvoy's Bill. I will say I feel like the child actor who played Bill did a better job really? of um, the personality. The per- of the yeah, the person who's like reticent and anxious, but also totally unafraid to do what it takes for his friends or his brother. I feel like there's a very hard balance. Yeah. Bill Hader was Richie. That's perfect casting from Finn Wolfhard. Yes. Yeah. Um, Isaiah Mustafa played Mike. Jay Ryan played Ben. That was also great casting. Um, and James Ransom as Eddie, that's the hypochondriac kid. Yeah. That was perfect casting. Uh, so I can't tell you exactly what it is that made that movie boring. I think it was three hours. I think that's it. You nailed it. <laughs> no movie should be three hours long. They do give Beverly a great deal of development. That's and good. she and Jessica Chastain is, of course... A very strong yes. actor. I was trying to see what critics who didn't like it said about it. Because... They probably said take an hour off. <laughs> but see, saying that, but I don't know where I would take... The original It got 69 out of 100 okay. on Metacritic. This is 58, so it's not that far. Uh, big of a difference. And... You know, Empire called it a psychologically merciless sequel. Everything here is as it should be, deeper, scarier, funnier. So a lot of people really liked it. Peter Travers at Rolling Stone said it's an ass-numbing two hours (laughs) and 50 minutes. Uh, The dragging pace diminishes the film's ability to hold us in its grip. Here's what I'll say. There is a very graphic suicide in this movie. Oh. There is very graphic domestic violence in this movie and that's in the beginning of the movie there is a very horrific hate crime there's a gay bashing that results in a murder in the beginning of this movie and then we have so first of all 
spoiler. I mean, not spoiler and none alert, of but that like involves like supernatural. That's just people being awful. That that is how we get into. Yeah, none of that is Pennywise. Okay, all of that is human. Then we have this long stretch of time where we have to find out where are they now and and get them back, get them back, and then they have to search. And so I'm not going to give you spoilers because this movie did just come out, but. It's very a lot at the beginning, and then there's a long period of not much, and then it's a whole lot at the end. And so I just feel like it is, I would agree that it's It's too much. It's too much, and it's not even. And it's those are very real, serious things, and I feel like they're exploited for the shock value, but you have Pennywise the Clown. You don't need to add any shock value. Right. So I don't know. And a movie about a supernatural killer clown should not be extremely boring. <laughs> <laughs> Baseline. Yeah. So we were not impressed with summer movies. No. Are we hoping fall will be better? Well, you, those are tend to be the movies I like better. The movies that come out like in November, December. The kind of indie. Oh, and then you got all your Hallmark movies to watch too. <laughs> so you're going to be all set. <laughs> going to be... Totally set on movies for, for, yeah, I'll be good. I'll be entertained. Plus, I'm watching Lost. For the first time? Yes. Oh, I've never seen it before. I'm so excited for you. I guess that's what's next in my lady life. You didn't ask me, but I just told you. Um, I like that we stick on theme. uh, So, yeah, our only recommendations are Spider-Man Far From Home and Toy Story 4, kind of. Yeah. And any and my recommendation is to watch any movie that you enjoy. Right. Don't that, let us ruin anything. That brings you meaning. Yes. And um and John Wick three. I'd recommend John Wick three. It's ultra violent though, so if you're not into violence, don't watch it. But uh, I would recommend it. Halle Berry did a killer job in that movie. That's all I have. <laughs> I have nothing else. Misty, what's next in your lady life? I have so much grading to do. <laughs> I don't know why, but the start of the semester has really uh, kicked my butt a it's little bit. Creeped up on you a little bit. Yeah. What about you? Same stuff. Same grading. No, I don't. I don't grade my students' work. Oh, good. You're one of those. I just assign random numbers. I actually spent the whole weekend grading, so I don't know what I'm going to do this week besides watch Lost because uh, I've never seen it before. What season are you in? Second. It's it's good until about the fourth. But I'm real excited for you. Does it have a resolution? Moving on. Thank you for listening to this episode of Profess Hers, our podcast about seeing movies, culture, and history through our lady eyes. I'm Misty, and I'm looking forward to Raise Hell, the Molly Ivins documentary. Of course you are. Nonfiction for Misty. Of course. Always. And I'm Allegra, and I am super, super, super looking forward to the Downton Abbey movie. Oh, my God. It's also historical. Sure. We'd love to hear from you what you thought about today's episode, what you'd like us to discuss in future episodes, or how great you think we are. Which is really great. To connect with us, you can follow us on Twitter at ProfessHers, at P-R-O-F-E-S-S-H-E-R-S, or by email, same address, ProfessHers at gmail.com. We're also on Instagram and Facebook. Thank you to everyone who has been listening, commenting, liking, and reviewing our podcast. Please keep doing all those things, and we hope you recommend our podcast to a friend. And remember, Hakuna Matata. <laughs>